It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, August 17th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, rural hospitals are stretched thin as high COVID case counts persist. Then the coronavirus can be deadly in pregnant people. And new reporting sheds light on the practices a Jackson hospital uses to collect debt. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Every day, Mississippi reports thousands of new cases of COVID-19. That steady drumbeat of infections puts more and more pressure on the state's health care systems. Capacity issues are most visibly acute at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, where preparations are underway to house patients in a parking garage. But Mississippi's smaller hospitals, which operate understaffed and under-resourced in the best of times, are also feeling the crunch. Lee McCall is CEO of Neshoba County Medical Center. He speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. We're just extremely busy, overwhelmed with the COVID surge. All of our clinics, our ER, pretty much all of our facilities are just maxed out in terms of uh, seeing COVID-related patients come in, needing to be tested, needing to be treated. The last few days, we've been averaging 14 or so a day in the hospital. We're a 25-bed hospital, so we have that many of one type of patient in your hospital, that that gives you an idea of how it's dominating what's going on in all hospitals across the state. We've been just really experiencing a high impact here in terms of new COVID cases. Uh, Last week, it was reported that Neshoba County was number one in the nation in terms of the positivity rate and the cases per 100,000. We're experiencing that daily. You mentioned that your hospital's at capacity. What is that mean for your community? I'll clarify. When I say we're at capacity, we're stretched real thin. We do still have beds available in the hospital. Right now, that approximates to around 10 beds that are available. But when I say we're stretched at capacity, in terms of staffing, we have a number of staff that are out. We have a high influx of patients coming in. Our ER and our clinics have been up 75%. So in terms of the Sheer volumes of patients coming in and being seen and our shortage of staff, and not to mention that we still have around 20-plus vacancies 
we're just to the point of where it's hard to take on anymore. But we do still have some beds available, so I don't want to, you know, mis- be misleading there. But in terms of what that means for our community, when all of our hospitals in our state are at or reaching capacity, it's problematic because we still have patients that come in that have a car wreck, they have a, a trauma that needs to be transferred to a higher level of care. We still have patients having heart attacks, strokes, things of that nature. So we can only handle so much here. At some point, a patient may need a higher level of care, and we are really struggling with getting patients to that higher level of care just because of sheer numbers of COVID across our state and the hospitalization. So that's just a huge concern in terms of patients getting here needing to get to that higher level of care. And just one final point on that, we also operate an ambulance service. And so we're seeing excessive transfer times from our hospital and or patients that we pick up in the community that need to be taken to higher level of care. For an example, the other day we, we had to make a transfer for a neighboring facility to a higher level of care for a patient that needed that level of care. Our ambulance had to sit at that receiving hospital's ambulance bay for 12 hours with the patient and the ambulance. And so that's another impact that, that is uh, upon us in our rural communities. And you mentioned that y'all are short-staffed right now. How are your employees holding up? They're really tired. This has just been a draining, long 18 months that certainly has come in different ways. But at this point, our staff are just having to dig deep, find every bit of energy they can to, to press forward. It's, it's, it's a struggle for all. And, I mean, it's not just you know, doctors, nurses, it's respiratory therapists, it's lab techs. It's anyone that is involved in the care of a patient, and, and that pretty much involves every department here at this hospital. They're tired. Um, they're wore out looking for some support in terms of just recognizing the pandemic that we are dealing with and the low vaccination rates. Our staff just want folks to, to do their part, you know, push the vaccines, you know, safe practice and help us combat the virus that is at hand. But this is what we do. We take care of the sick. We're here to serve our community. It's just a challenging time whenever the resources are, are stretched thin and we got staff out not to mention all the other things that we're also trying to do to help offset the high demand. Like we've opened up a drive-through testing line that's taking critical resources away from other areas, but it's important to do so because we're trying to keep that excess out of our urgent care clinic. And we have been all along administering the antibody treatment. This last week and a half with the uptick in cases, we've been averaging 30-plus COVID antibody infusions a day. That takes four or five clinical staff just to do that. But that is an effort and one of the best tools that we have to fight COVID. And so the more that we can give, the better chances that we have of reducing hospitalizations. So that's a, that's a great effort, and that's why we try to commit as many resources to it as we can. What could your hospital use right now? Like if you could ask the governor or the federal government for something, what would be your priority? There's a number of things, I think, that if you asked other hospital administrators, they'd likely say the same thing. We have to stabilize the care teams that we have in this state, the nurses that we've got, the doctors, the respiratory therapists, all those care teams. We've got a lot of contract companies that are coming in, taking staff away, sending them to different states, paying these exacerbated rates that are unaffordable. And then and we have a shortage, and we need a contract with a contract company. They're turning around and marking that rate up, and we're having to pay it because we have to have that coverage. So 
I think if there was a plan that could be devised to target and keep our clinical teams and our hospitals stabilized and make it less attractive for them to leave our state and or leave our organizations to go work for a contract company, that's just one thing that I think would, would be a big help. It's it's good and great to see that the state emergency order has been extended. You know, there was fear with that. It was getting really close to the deadline and as we extended, so appreciate we certainly appreciate that. Just again, having uh, medical expert teams, I think this is a great one as well. Having medical expertise at the table, educating the public on the safety of the vaccine and why it's effective and be the voice behind vaccination. There's been too much politics get involved in this entire pandemic and vaccination effort, and it's really skewed public opinion and public thought on that. And we need to lean on our health experts. We have a lot of them across our state. Uh, ask your health care provider about the vaccine. Sure, I'm, I know people have questions, but ask your health care provider those questions and then trusting your health care provider. Those are important things that, that we see. Lee McCall is CEO of Neshoba County General Hospital. Lee, thank you for talking with us yes. today. Thank you. Coming up, unvaccinated pregnant people are susceptible to COVID's most punishing effects. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Thomas Dobbs says two pregnant women died of COVID-19 between Monday and Thursday of last week. Both were unvaccinated. They account for half of all deaths in people under age 30 in that time span. The loss of those women brings to light a sobering trend in the fight against COVID that pregnant people are highly susceptible to the virus's most severe effects. Dr. Rachel Morris is an associate professor of maternal fetal medicine at UMMC. She speaks with MPB's Desiree Fraser. What we learned Last June, June of 2020, um, the CDC came out with an initial statement about the morbidity and mortality of COVID in pregnancy. It was our first inclination, you know, as a country that pregnant women were more likely to have a worse course if you were pregnant as opposed to non-pregnant people. But then in even December of 2020, so six months later, we learned just how significant that issue was. And so pregnant women had a significant increase over non-pregnant patients with COVID to be admitted to the hospital, needing to be admitted to the ICU, greater risk of being intubated, greater risk of needing ECMO, and unfortunately a 70% increased risk of death over the non-pregnant population. So those are scary statistics that we've learned and have known about for, you know, eight plus months. So we have the luxury now of having a vaccination and a, a decent amount of information with respect to the safety of the vaccine in pregnancy. So the only way we can prevent morbidity and mortality for our pregnant mothers with COVID-19 disease is if a mother's vaccinated. 
ACOG, the American College of OBGYNs, the Society for Maternal and Fetal Medicine, as well as the CDC and the Society for Reproductive Medicine, have all placed strong statements within the last two weeks, again, endorsing the recommendation for all pregnant mothers to receive the vaccination during any trimester of pregnancy prior to getting pregnant, even if planning on fertility treatments. So the COVID vaccine is not a live virus vaccine. It is acceptable to receive during pregnancy. It does not affect your fertility, male or female. It does not cross the placenta. We hope uh, we have some exciting um, reports coming out of Brigham and Women's Hospital and others that if you get vaccinated during the pregnancy, that your body can make antibodies that will be passively given to the baby, and that will hopefully provide some immunity to the baby after birth. As everyone is learning, this Delta variant is far more contagious, far more infectious, and unfortunately is causing a lot of morbidity for not only adults but children. We're seeing reports across the state of children dying. And so what I don't want to see is a increase in the rates of newborn infection or children less than a year of age who cannot get vaccinated from this when their mothers have the opportunity of providing some immunity to them by just simply receiving the vaccination during pregnancy. And so even if a woman plans to get pregnant, she should get the COVID-19 vaccine? Yes, ma'am. So again, whether she's going to be receiving fertility treatments or attempting naturally, your best protection is to get to go ahead and get vaccinated prior to pregnancy. Again, as soon as you find out you're pregnant, if you've not received the vaccination, you can get it at any time during the pregnancy without risk of it causing a birth defect. It does not cause miscarriage or stillbirth. And again, it's not associated with with any risks. It does not attack the placenta. There's a lot of misinformation about what the vaccination does to a pregnant mother. And it's created a lot of fear against the vaccine. And the fear needs to be of the virus and what it can do to your baby, to your life, you know, with respect to risks of growth restriction, miscarriage, stillbirth, preeclampsia, maternal and fetal death or neonatal death from prematurity and the complications of being delivered early. There's major risks associated with this virus and COVID infection and pregnancy. That's where the fear needs to be. There are some people who are reluctant to get vaccinated. And I talked to a pregnant mom today waiting for the Food and Drug Administration to approve the vaccines. What sure. would you say to people who have that concern? I understand people's concerns about not having true, you know, I would say in quotes, FDA approval. There is an emergency use authorization in place, which includes pregnant women to receive the vaccination. If I thought we had the luxury of time to sit by and wait for FDA approval, then I'd be in support of that. But mothers are dying on a daily basis now, multiple mothers per day. Children are being born and will never get the opportunity to see their mother. Husbands are being widowed. This virus is very contagious right now, and pregnant women are dying. The only people that I'm seeing in our hospital at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, the ones that are critically ill, on a ventilator, needing ECMO, or dying are the ones that are unvaccinated. You're going to do better if you are vaccinated. 
there are lots of other drugs that we use on a daily basis that are not FDA approved. So we have to be very careful about that one designation. That's why we lean towards the science, trusting our national organizations like the American College of OBGYNs, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, again, the Society for Reproductive Medicine, as well as the CDC, that all of these major organizations are recommending the vaccination so that women who are otherwise young and healthy don't die from a virus that they don't have to. This is preventable. So... I'm very hopeful for FDA approval very soon, but we don't have the luxury of time to sit by because to think that it's not going to happen to a young mother, a thin mother, you know, whatever the case may be, we do not have that time. Well, Dr. Rachel Morris with UMMC, thank you for your time and speaking with us, and thank you for the work you are doing to save lives. Coming up, Mississippians receive life-saving care at St. Dominic Hospital in Jackson. Then the bill comes due. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. St. Dominic Hospital in Jackson is one of the state's largest medical facilities. It's owned by a Franciscan order, and it operates as a nonprofit, meaning it generally enjoys tax-exempt status. It also utilizes some of the most aggressive debt collection tactics in the country. That's according to journalist Jack Bologna, who recently published a piece for the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting, detailing allegations made against the hospital by low-income patients like Linda Burks. Linda Burks in 2015 started to feel a pain in her breast, and she ended up going to get that checked out, undergoing like an, uh, an ultrasound and a biopsy. And then in 2016, she found out that it was, in fact, breast cancer. And as part of her treatment, she went to St. Dominic's, in in addition to several other medical care providers in the area. And she did go through treatment successfully and, you know, emerge from the process cancer-free. But, you know, she still had lots of medical bills, even though she had insurance. Uh, She told me that she had an 80-20 plan which meant that she still could face significant bills from a lot of these treatments she was getting at the time. And she had been paying St. Dominic's, she says, $50 a month. And she'd been doing that for about a year. A couple months later, she realizes that St. Dominic is no longer drafting from her bank account. She had set up an auto-draft payment, she said. And so she contacts St. Dominic and says, hey, you guys aren't drafting the $50 from my account anymore. And that's when she's informed that she was supposed to have called St. Dominic at a year and kind of reset up this whole process. That was news to um, her? She had no idea that she yes, was supposed yes, to do she, that? Yes, she had no idea. She told me that she had asked to just say, well, can we resume these payments? And according to her, it was too late, uh, is what they told her, and that her bill had been sent to collections. And for Linda Burks, that meant Smith, Rushon, and Associates, the local debt collector. Smith, Rushan, and Associates wanted her to pay more, according to Linda. And they were calling her very frequently, not just at home, but also at work, she said. 
And so she told them to stop calling or else she would call the Better Business Bureau for harassment. And she said when that happened, she stopped hearing from them. But before long, she was served with a lawsuit. Uh, it was a medical debt lawsuit filed by Smith & Sean and Associates. And it was about thousands of dollars that she had owed to St. Dominic originally. And when Smith, Ruchon, and Associates and these other debt collectors sue you, they almost always, you know, inflate your bill by 33%. They add, you know, that, that, that is for the attorney fee. And they also add court costs and an 8% interest rate on it. She actually wrote a letter to the judge. And she didn't know that anyone had ever actually even read the letter or that it was even part of the case file. But in that letter, it was it was very passionate. She said, I don't know how you know, I'm going to pay for this. You know, Linda works as a receptionist, and she has other medical bills that she was trying to pay off. And she has to keep going for regular kind of checkups to make sure that her breast cancer isn't going to come back. Is she seeing a doctor at St. Dominic? Yes, yeah. She had been going to checkups, yeah, like yearly checkups at St. Dominic to kind of check to see about if the breast cancer had, had come back. And her fear was that she would, again, get kind of billed and sued and the things that kind of go along with that, which is wage garnishments or damage to your credit. And so that really caught my eye because it, it showed what a lot of experts talk about, which is sometimes people will fear getting medical treatment because of these debt collectors, because they could get sued, because you know they might get their credit damaged or their wages garnished. She was trying to pay her bill from the beginning. It sounds like she was making payments to St. Dominic. Mm -hmm. Did she try exactly. and, and talk Smith, Rashawn and Associates into allowing a payment plan for her? So, yeah, eventually, yeah, her husband helped her with that. And uh, they, they were talking to Smith, Rashawn, and they did set up a payment plan with them for $85 a month. So, you know, more than the $50 a month that she had been paying and she only recently got that bill with Smith, Rushon and Associates back down to where it was a few years ago when they initially sued her. I just want to clarify that it isn't St. Dominic that's tacking on the fees. It's the debt collector. Is that correct? Yes, it's correct. But the, the debt collector does work on a contingency for St. Dominic's. So it's my understanding that St. Dominic's could stop these lawsuits if they wanted to because they still are the ones that own the debt. Where do things stand now with Linda Burks? Uh, you know, I asked her, you know, she's, I believe, in her late 50s now, about retirement. But right now she's working on paying off these bills. So she's actually taken up kind of a second job where on Thursdays and Fridays she works for a few hours after work cleaning the building where she works as a receptionist. Is all the money that she owes, and there are various bills from different entities, are they all... Mm -hmm. Consolidated under Smith Rushon? Just two of them. You know, and most of that bill is from St. Dominic, and I can give you that exact breakdown here if you'd like. So when Smith Rushon and Associates sued her in October of twenty eighteen, they sued her over two alleged debts. One was about five hundred dollars to a radiologist, but the other debt was about forty four hundred dollars to St. Dominic. And the debt collector, Smith Rushon and Associates, you know, tacked on more than $1,600 for a reasonable attorney's fee.
In a written statement, a spokesman for St. Dominic told Jack the hospital does everything it can to accommodate debtors' financial circumstances, but the treatment Linda Burke says she received falls well short of that standard. And Linda's not the only patient speaking out. That's on tomorrow's show. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.